the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Keep on trying till I reach my highest Life in Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us for Life in Colorado. This week's issue is homelessness. Now, we do have, of course, a a homeless base here in Denver, and it is, unfortunately, according to census statistics, growing. But here's what we also have. We have individuals on the front line helping the homeless, helping them achieve their goals and supporting them in all of their needs, or at the very least with the needs that we can pinpoint. Today we have with us Lynn Ann Heising. She's the executive director of the Severe Weather Shelter Network. Uh, her organization as- assists homeless, and actually they have a, a new initiative that we're going to be talking about after we-, we get down to the issue that is pretty exciting. It- it's one of those small little things that when you are homeless, you don't have that can kind of make all of the difference. Um, thank you so much, Ms. Lynn Ann, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me today. Now, just starting from basics, I know a lot of us have a, a lot of misperceptions and a lot of stereotypes in our heads of about who the homeless are. How is homelessness defined? Well, in very basic terms, home, homelessness is defined when someone is living in conditions that are not meant for human habitation. That would be your basic definition. And I know there are different variables, but that is the baseline, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, who's at risk of being homeless? Well, probably a large majority of the population, in all honesty, you know, we're many of us one or two paychecks away from losing our home or going into foreclosure or being evicted from an apartment. It's um, not too uncommon. Do you do a lot of one-on-one speaking with the homeless? I know as an executive director, you have a, a large plate, but do you get a chance to do one-on-one interactions? I do. I do. I'm really intentional about that, actually. During our sheltering season, I make sure that I'm out at least um, two shelter nights a week when we're open. And just to be present in the shelter site and visit with our guests and uh, our volunteers, of course. But just really taking that time to have dinner with our guests and just listen to whatever it is that they feel like they need to be talking about today. What's, What's sheltering season? What is that? So we're a severe weather shelter, and that means for us that we shelter between October 1st and April 30th, and we do that when overnight temperatures are projected to be 32 degrees or colder and wet, or 20 degrees or colder and dry, and those are temperatures that are just generally accepted to be life-threatening. And this is kind of a, a touchy question, because as human beings, we definitely all want to help each other, without a doubt, but... There seems to me, just me personally, like when it comes to the homeless, there seems to be an us versus them mentality. 
So, for example, if someone proposes uh, feeding the homeless uh, on the street or, or propose a possible shelter, it seems like there's a little bit of community pushback. How do you, how do you balance the community concerns from those who have homes with the community concerns of those who do not? That's a really great question. It's a fine line. So the way that we have dealt with that is that we shelter in churches, and the churches that are opening up their buildings for us tend to be in neighborhoods where people would not want anybody camping. But the the way that we deal with that is that we bus people in and we bus people out. So we have what we call warming sites, and on shelter nights those warming sites are places where our, our folks gather and they wait for transportation, and then we take them to the host site, and then in the morning we bring them back. Sounds like a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's a lot of coordination for sure. Let's talk a little bit about stereotypes. What are some of the stereotypes that, that you have to combat when, when speaking to community members about the homeless? What are some of those mental challenges or, or blocks that people have about people? I think most of the time when I'm speaking to maybe it's a church family or another community organization, Many of the people will ask almost always, well, they're, they're addicts, they're drunks, and they're addicts. Um, they believe that many times that they're, everyone on the homeless front is dealing with mental health issues. And while some of that is true to an extent, I think a lot of it was that they grew into that, facing the challenges of being on the street. And it was whatever put them on the street was probably not that. That In our experience, sheltering in the suburban corridor, many, if not all, of the folks that we shelter ended up on the street because of some kind of a family tragedy or the loss of a job. And they couldn't find another job or the job that they do have, because probably 30% of the people that we shelter are working. The The job that they're working doesn't meet the the living wage. And so they are working, but they can't afford the rent. They can't afford first month, last month. So, and even the, the motels in the not nicer parts of town right now are charging a monthly rate that's equal to the average mortgage. It'll cost you anywhere between $1,000 and $1,200 just to stay in a motel where that's probably what you're earning is around twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a month, and then what do you do? You're still not getting food. You're still not able to put money away for the other things that you would need, even to be able to move out of that situation. And and, and that brings up something you, you mentioned the thirty percent, and and that's kind of a, a trend. I don't know if, if it's a, a new trend or maybe it's just a trend that my eyes have been open to recently. But there is a significant portion of the homeless who are working. Mm-hmm. who are actively working and contributing to society in some field who cannot afford rent. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what do we say to that, the, the American dream of, of work hard, be a good person, and you'll be fine, isn't valid anymore? That would be what I would witness is, you know, the people that are working Gosh, you know, it's hard for them to shelter with us, first of all, because we do have to have them come to a warming site. So if they're working, uh, you know, we try really hard to figure out another way for them to get to shelter because we don't want them to not work, right? We want them to work. So we have to 
just walk that journey with them. And sometimes it means uh, helping them access educational opportunities. Sometimes uh, it means helping them reconnect with family in another state that has a lower cost of living. You know, it's, it's helping them to sit down with them personally to figure out what their situation is so that we can help them best take those next steps that are going to help them be safe and sustainable off the street. When danger is imminent, will you be prepared? Now many mobile devices can bring you critical information from local sources you trust. With a unique sound and vibration, wireless emergency alerts keep you in the know wherever you are. Learn more at ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Now, have you ever had a situation where there isn't any help? Where, say, for example, they are working maybe a 12-hour shift all day and can't come to you. They're not making enough to pay rent, but not really making enough to survive. There aren't any mental health concerns or drug-related concerns that you can kind of shift them to those resources. Does that happen a lot, or, or is that something that does not happen? We see some of it, and so we intentionally partner with organizations that have access to other resources that maybe we don't. And so um, in the south end of town, we partner with Giving Heart, and they're very, uh, they're a resource center that's open two days a week, Tuesday and Thursday, drop in, and they are very, very intentional about sitting down to assess, you know, what are your needs? And how can we address that? And they have just investigated and dug around, and they have found some other um, housing-type resources. So one of the things that we are working on connecting with is uh, there's a a new organization, just a couple years old, called um, Provident House Share. There's another one called Sunshine House Share. And this seems to be... Uh, one way that we can assist folks potentially to get off the street and have kind of a transitional situation. So these are people who have a house, they have space in their house, and they are maybe at the edge of, of their own situation. But if they can have somebody come in and share expenses a little bit and, and help care for them maybe if they're seniors, then it gives that person a chance to stabilize and take some of those next steps that are going to get them into a more stable situation. Yeah, and also it sounds like it gives them the option to connect with someone. Uh huh. That one of the things that comes with homelessness is a, a sense of isolation, mm-hmm. a sense that you're not a part of the community, mm-hmm. and no good can come from that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to, to the good news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me a little bit about the, the locker program. So Severe Weather Shelter Network is very intentionally connecting with an organization in Inglewood called Change the Trend. And uh, our one of our goals um, this fall is to initiate a locker program. And so uh, we have a number of businesses now that are saying, yes, you can put a small block of lockers on my property. Now, so what is the big deal about a locker? That's a question people ask me, actually. If you think about what it might be like to be homeless, you have nowhere to store your stuff. So whatever that is, I mean, it might just be a backpack and a sleeping bag, but if you don't have anywhere to put it that's safe, you don't feel like you can go to work. You don't feel like you can, you know, you can't show up at a job interview with your backpack 
and your sleeping bag rolled up on there. You just you can't do that. That's not going to work for you. What we have determined is that by partnering together, we can put together a locker program where people who are pursuing work or are already working can have access to a safe place to store their personal stuff. And uh, then we continue to walk alongside of them and help them with other things that they might need help with. Okay. And, I mean, definitely that that is quite important. Like you said, not being able to, to walk into a job site with all of your earthly possessions, which may not be much. It may just be a backpack, but that backpack has everything right in it your hygiene items maybe your social security card maybe a a photo or or two of a family member just something tangible for you to hold on to Mm -hmm. so a little thing like a locker Mm -hmm. makes all of the difference you mentioned that there were some businesses are are these like mom and pop businesses or, or corporate that that are like okay you can put this here if yeah they're smaller businesses mm-hmm. that are considering right they want to know what the whole program is how are they going to be monitored all those kinds of things so as we're kind of wrapping up with those final uh, what that final plan is and we communicate back with those businesses then they will allow us to put lockers on their property so we're super excited about it. We think it's going to be a great opportunity. And especially with uh, with no locker theft among the homeless community is really prevalent. So between the possibility of theft and the possibility of sweeps, which, you know, officers are coming through and um, cleaning up campsites, then you don't have your stuff and then you can't really, you have to start all over. You know, we exactly. talked a little bit about that. Go ahead and let our listeners know how you decided to put yourself forward and out there like this. Um, Kicking and screaming. That would be a good (laughs) way to say that. I will be very honest and say I never wanted anything to do with homelessness. And as I reflected, had an opportunity to reflect recently on why, why was that. And I really feel like there were some key events in my life where I came into contact with extreme poverty that was just so shocking and so hurtful for me to observe that, that I just totally shut it off. And um, a number of years ago, our church was participating with Family Promise, and we were sheltering families with kids. I didn't even want to do that, but I really felt like I was being led to do that. So I, uh, I overnight hosted because I didn't have to come into contact with the families. They were already in bed or heading to bed, and I just had to get them up in the morning, so there wasn't any reason for me to engage. Well, then probably, gosh, seven years ago now, um, my lead pastor at our church was heading to sabbatical, and he had been attending a collaboration meeting in Jefferson County that was asking the question, could churches open up their building to provide shelter? Could that be an option? And as he was heading out, he said, Lenny, I want you to go cover those meetings for me. I said, I really don't want to do that. He said, well, it's three meetings. I think you can do it. And what was so, as I reflect back on it, was so interesting to me. I went to the first meeting where they were interviewing over phone other organizations that utilize churches uh, as shelter. And it just opened up for me. I could see 
I could see how it could be organized and how it could be structured, and it just didn't seem like it was that uh, mind-blowing, frankly. Impossible, not an yeah, impossible it was just, task. No, it was like, oh, that's, that's very doable. And when I went back the next month, they were having the exact same conversation, and I got really frustrated with that. And I remember driving back to church, because I'm also a, a part-time pastor at the church where I am, literally yelling at God. It is not that hard. It's just not that hard. I don't understand why we have to have the same conversation. And one of those rare occasions where you hear the voice, he's like, well, Lenan, I gave you administrative and organization gifts for a reason. I said, yeah, for church. He's like, and this. So kicking and screaming is, is about the way I went into it. But now seven years into it, I am sold out. I've met so many people I would never have met. And I have learned that people on the street are no different than you and me. They're experiencing a really challenging time in their life, but they really need someone just to walk with them and to love them. And sometimes we get to love them for a long time. You know, some of our guys have been on the street for 20 years. Some haven't been on there that long, and those that haven't been, we're trying to encourage to get off because the longer you're on the street, the harder it is to get off. In my research, I noticed something called chronically homeless. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that what that is? Mm-hmm. What do we do for these individuals to help restore or, or even preserve their dignity as human beings, as members of the community? What is it that we can do? You know, I think just taking time to uh, listen to a story is so important. Just listening to their story gives a certain amount of dignity. Now, for us, we personally um, have made the decision that we, we cap our shelter sites at 35 because it's then a small enough community that the volunteers have the opportunity to have those conversations. We get to know the names. I mean, how much dignity is there when you can walk, have somebody walk in the door and say, ah, oh, Chuck, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. You know, just that welcoming of people. Um, the provision of clean bedding. You know, that's a dignity piece. Just... Um, we can't fix it. You know, we know that we can't fix it for them, but we can give them a hot meal. We can be a listening ear. We can um, acknowledge what they're good at. And given just how human this issue is, are there any closing thoughts or, or any words that you would like to, to share with our listeners about who the homeless really are and what help can be, or I don't even know if the word is help. I think it's support we can offer as individuals. Uh, you mentioned just acknowledging that they're there, mm-hmm. asking a simple question. Um, what other or things could you possibly suggest for our listeners? Oh, my goodness. I mean, just in a a chance meeting or... Mm-hmm. You know, um, just a kind word. 
they feel so invisible so much of the time. You know, nobody wants to see homelessness. And so you can walk up and down the 16th Street Mall or Colfax or heavens anymore. You can walk up and down Wadsworth and see the people that are panhandling or hiding under, you know, uh, a viaduct. Just to, to stop and acknowledge, I see you. Mm-hmm. I see you. You're valuable. Just to do that is something. And, I, you know, just to ask the question, you know, don't assume that you know what they need, but to, to ask the question. And probably, you know, um, I would not encourage people just to give money. That's not always a good idea. But to offer, you know, can I, can I get you breakfast today? Would that be helpful to you? Because mostly what we can do in the immediate is offer um, a meal. Because we have other organizations that are offering things like clothing and additional resources. Um, if you have RTD bus tickets that are valid and you're willing to share those, that's a good good thing to share. Now, having um, been involved with the, the organization, uh, Severe Weather Shelter Network, and of course possibly through your pastoral experiences, please, mm-hmm. <laughs> please, please, uh, can you give me one success story or one story of hope that sure. you've seen? Sure, I can. Yeah, we had um, we had one gentleman that he'd only been on the street for five years, <laughs> but he was, uh, he was a plumber. That was his job. And the way that he ended up on the street was um, he had come out to his truck to put stuff away at the end of the day and got hit by a car and ended up in the hospital for three months. Well, in the course of that three months, of course, no rent was paid. Um, he lost his, his job. So when he was uh, released from the hospital, he was released to the street, which makes me sick, frankly. He um, he connected with Severe Weather Shelter Network, and we were able to provide shelter for him in the winter, but we also connected him with um, Mean Street Ministry and some of our other partners. And he was able to get housed um, through Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, actually. So he was housed for probably three years. He was really sick um, by the time he was housed, which is probably how come he was housed and uh, he recently passed away but for me I know what his faith was I know that for the last three years of his life he was housed and um, healthy for us that's a success story you know
Do are there any final thoughts that you wanted to to add? There's another couple. Um, they're young. That they uh, had been on the street for a little while. The wife working, the husband on disability, trying to get some work. Um, through another program that we partner with, they were able to be housed, and they've been very successful. They're still housed. The wife is still working, the husband is working now, and they're making some real strides toward sustainability. And we, we love that story. Now, if I could if I could invite, I guess if I could invite people who are in their later work years or maybe entering into retirement, just to think about what you do with that retirement. Whether it's engaging with um, an organization like Severe Weather Shelter Network or some other organization, I would encourage people to think about how you use that time. The recognition that I, it's true in my own household, two of our three kids who are adults and working live at home because they can't afford the rent. So uh, that's not an unusual circumstance anymore. Um, severe weather is always looking for volunteers in the shelter season, so that's always a, a great opportunity. But if they really want to learn about how they might engage in this particular situation, we do have um, two walks that are coming up. And uh, one is on Saturday, September 15th in Centennial Park in Inglewood from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And the second one is the very next weekend, September 22nd, in Memorial Park in Arvada from 3 to 7. If they don't want to volunteer, you know, we all need the financial support, so they could certainly make a financial gift. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate you coming in and sitting down to talk with us. Well, thank you, Maria. I have enjoyed it. All right, then. And that concludes our show today. Richard Robertson is the show producer. I'm your host, Maria Oliver, and this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.